Hello, listener. Brace here. Have I ever told you how much you mean to me, how much I care about you, how much I think about you day and night? Huh. I never did? Well, it's time for me to do that now. And now I have a favor to ask you. Do you know how to write a letter? You take a pen, you take a piece of paper, you write something on that piece of paper, then you put it on an envelope and send it. In an envelope, actually, but who's counting? Uh, I need you to write a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom. No, I am not asking you to remind him that his ex-girlfriend is now married to Donald Trump Jr. I am simply asking you to write him a letter asking him to parole Sirhan Sirhan as the law intended. The address for that is 1303 10th Street, Suite 1173, Sacramento, California, 95814. You don't need to write a whole essay. You don't need to write all the different facts of the case. Simply ask him in as normal and not weird a way as possible to parole Sirhan Sirhan because that is what the law demands. That's what the state of California has said that they're going to do. And uh, don't fuck with that, uh, Mr. Newsom. Anyways, uh, yes, thank you very much for doing that. I'm going to put the uh, link in to the governor's webpage in the description here, and we're also going to put the uh, the address so you don't have to rewind the, this part and listen to it all over again. Anyways, the episode is going to start now. I tried getting really into Jack Kennedy, remember? Uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, you just want him like every woman. I actually don't find him attractive. That's because you only like Jewish guys. Have you seen, okay, so, okay, you can, there's photos of him where you're like, whoa, especially after he gets to the White House. The Ugliest booze, JFK photo. The booze that, that yeah. what it does to his face is like, ooh. yeah, it's like, you know what Leo got real fat? No. My man here, Chomsky knows. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, Leo also had that kind of, it's, I call it whiskey bloat. Mm-hmm. It definitely looks like a, you know, straight up down in the fat. <laughs> People are stupid because it's actually, if you drink enough, you, you pass that and you become handsome again. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Leaving Las Vegas, but Nicolas Cage in that is so oh, just magnetic you know and attractive that actually, and handsome. I was going to say that you're wrong, but I do think that that is a fascinating counter example. But you know what I will say? The exception is what proves the rule. I, that, 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 whenever anyone says that, that's a, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. You Except how science. do exceptions prove the rule? It's called the scientific method. Yeah. Here, uh, I, I, I That's right. You're speechless. Say. Logic defeats. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. Bring, Hello. 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 This is my new character, the person who can only say hello. It's the only word they know. Classic. Classic bit. What if you were mind controlled? Uh-huh. And they just hypnotize you so you could only say hello. That's my new character. That's my, that's, well, wait, your character is if I was mind controlled to only say, this is, (laughs) okay, we're going to need to, you spent seven years in improv grad school (laughs) at McGill, and this is, this is the character? I have something to tell you about that. What? 
No, oh, I can't say it now. You can't say it now. I well, can't say okay. it because we're recording. We'll, 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 tell, we'll tell it to me after. But I oh my God, Liz just texted it to me. And Holy <laughs> shit. Dude, you really did go to a, you did go to improv school no, for seven I, years. Okay, hello everyone. I'm Liz. My name is. What's he gonna say next? Uh, a polka dot, a banana, or something wacky? No, my name is Brace, <laughs> and we're joined by producer Young Chomsky. And the podcast is called "What Is It?" Something random? No, it's the same thing. It is every, not even every week. Every three. Why do we do this podcast so much? My name is. With the podcast is called True and On. Now I've gone fucked up. Hi. I don't know who you're talking to. I'm talking to a beautiful woman standing right behind my computer. <laughs> That's your monitor. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone. We have a new episode. I don't uh-huh. know. Yeah, so we, was- it, yeah, we have a new episode. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> this is a clip show. We're doing the, we're, yeah. <sighs> yeah, we have a new episode today. Hey, we could today. do a clip show if we want. Actually, we did a clip show once. Or we did yeah. a little montage. It was uh-huh. like a mini clip show. Uh-huh. Well, and Chomsky that's... did a little, you know, clip clip. Yeah. Yeah, but he did a, uh, you know what I'm There's talking about. There have been a lot about. of montages. Like, you uh, know what well, I'm talking about. Well, this isn't say... that, so I don't know why you're fucking <laughs> dwelling on I'm it so much. I'm just rambling. Um, we are, we have, we I'm have a good ramble. episode today, actually. I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, not actually all of our episodes are good, but this one's really good. Yeah. We have with us today, Lisa Pease. And uh, she is here to talk with us about. I was about to say something really mean to Liz, but I had to cover it up with an and. Uh, uh, I was going to say. I will Liz- say during this interview, I texted the boys and I said, she is so cozy. Yes. Yeah. And because so it's a, she is, I think, our coziest guest that we've ever had. 100%. It, I would it like to. A, I said, I want to bake cookies with her mm-hmm. and just wax poetic about, you know, CIA crimes and cover ups. Uh, yeah, it is. It was a fantastic episode. It is a fantastic episode. And uh, unfortunately for us, we've already heard it because, uh, you know, not to brag or anything, but, you know, we were the people that interviewed her. But you get to hear it right now after the sentence ends now. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited and honored to welcome to the show Lisa Pease, the author of A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, former co-editor of Pro- Probe Magazine with uh, a man whose name you might met- know from this podcast, Jim DiEugenio, and an author's, author, author, I'm, I'm tripping over my words here, but an author, researcher, and amateur historian. Lisa, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. I wish there were more historians who actually looked into this case. <laughs> Certainly. Well, you have done uh, enough work for about ten of them. Um, <sighs> we we are True. we've. I think I've I've maybe messaged you before to come on, but this is a certainly the best time to do it because this is a. It has been exactly one week today since news was made about Sirhan Sirhan. The first step of his parole has been uh, put into motion. I'm not really sure the exact terminology to use on all this. Yeah. Um, he was granted but, parole a week ago. Exactly. Yes. He was granted parole a week ago. And, uh, and that this kicks was, off a 120 day process. There's a 90 day period where a larger parole board reviews it to make sure they've mm-hmm. crossed all the T's dotted all the mm-hmm. I's 30 day period where the governor can veto it or not. 
That's and I know that, that Newsom has vetoed some paroles before. I, he vetoed uh, Leslie you know, Van Houten. Mm, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, so fingers fingers crossed. Hopefully the, the recall will take I up too much of his say, attention for him to like recall. even bother with this. Yeah. Even um, if he was recalled, though, it would still be him sure, because of, course, of the way the yeah. clock works and when yeah, the yeah, transition yeah. would take place. Yeah. No, but I'm literally just hoping he's too stressed out to to, yeah. to think about it. <laughs> let let the um, board decide. Yes, exactly. I hope so too. Hope so, too. Uh, uh, so Lisa, why? I mean, Sirhan Sirhan. I think people might have a passing, um, you know, familiarity with him either from like pop culture references to him, mm. or uh, you know, maybe seen his name in the news, or just you know, basic history. He's associated, or you know, is the is the supposed assassin. Of uh, of RFK, uh, but you have done an immense amount of research into this guy, and 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 we have we have brought you here today to tell us why it is not only good that Sirhan Sirhan is uh, is 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 possibly hopefully getting parole, but why this shouldn't have even been an issue in the first place. Um, okay, and hmm. so who is this cat? You know, like, okay. what, who, who is so first Sirhan, of all, Sirhan and his family, they came to America during the uh, Israeli War for Independence or the Nakba, depending on which mm-hmm. side you talk to. Uh, his family, you know, their old village, they had to leave immediately. They were put in a home with 40 other people. They shared a, a toilet pit in the basement for 40 mm-hmm. families. They slept on rags and they were middle class before that. So huge change in their mm-hmm. life. Sirhan Sirhan saw his older brother Munir killed, and he was so traumatized by that that when he had a Mm. younger brother, the mother also named him Munir in part to pacify Sirhan. So it's like the tragedy that that family had been through before they even got to America is pretty, pretty horrific. And of course, they came here looking for a better life. They're Christians. They're not Muslims. You know, they Mm -hmm. studied with pastors. And the mother, of course, was the most devout. The sons, maybe a little less devout. Familiar Uh, with that. How that plays out. Right, right. There, there were uh, other brothers that have all passed away. So right now, Sirhan Sirhan is seventy-seven years old. He has a younger brother named Munir, who lives Mm -hmm. in Pasadena at the same house that Sirhan originally lived in. So if he is freed, he will get to go back to his old bedroom. I mean, I I think that's, there's a lovely continuity of that, that nothing Mm. will have changed. That house has been frozen in time in a way. There's just a lot more books on the shelves about the case now than there were at the time. So, so what had happened, let me just back up real quick for your listeners who may not know this history. So Robert Kennedy, this was the the California primary and he was Mm -hmm. poised to win, not just the primary. Well, he won the primary that night, Mm -hmm. June 4th, he won the primary shortly after midnight. He came down to give his acceptance speech. So that's June 5th. After the speech, he walked backstage, took a right turn, walked down a little ramp and into this pantry area. It was like a staging area for the servers for banquets and things like that. And there were three big steam tables and a huge ice machine that covered like half a wall um, Mm. with a little space between a divider wall and the ice machine, the perfect spot to hide an assassin, by the way. And that's not where Sirhan was standing. Um, There was a tray stacker at the end of the ice machine where Sirhan was seen not alone, 
but with a girl in a polka dot dress holding him on that stand. And I'll come back to that girl in a moment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. another yeah. very important part of this. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, Robert Keddy walks into the room. He's on his way to the colonial room, which is at the east end of the pantry and across the hall. And that's where the print media is. And this was mm. common at, at every campaign stop. He was the only one who made a point of stopping and talking to the print media because at one time, Bobby Kennedy himself was a journalist. And so he had mm. sympathy for them. Um, he's just a great guy. So anyway, he stops, you know, some busboys shake his hand. He turns to move forward. Sirhan is facing him. Sirhan pulls yes. out a gun and fires right at Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy twists to his left and falls down on the pantry floor. Uh, people grab Sirhan after the second shot and throw him into the seam table and try and keep his arm away from the crowd so he can't kill anybody else. And even so, uh, Robert Keddy is hit four times. The big problem is Robert Keddy was not hit from the front four times. And, and Sirhan did not get that close. And I literally made a spreadsheet. There were 77 yeah. pantry witnesses that the LAPD would allow for. I know at least uh, two others who were there provably that are not mm -hmm. on the list. But in general, it's a pretty comprehensive list. And I listed like who saw Sirhan, who saw Robert Kennedy. And then I didn't care if they saw a gun at Kennedy's head, but they couldn't identify it as Sirhan. I threw that out because mm. I only wanted to know what the people who saw both at the same time said. That's logical, right? And guess what? <laughs> yeah, they put them two feet apart. Yes, that's one of the most astounding parts about your book. Is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it there's you. There's so many statements that you have from witnesses, mm -hmm. and so few of them can concretely say like. Yes, I you know, I saw – everyone basically describes essentially the same scene, is that Sirhan right. Sirhan, several feet in front of Kennedy, and nobody says he's behind him. Right, right. But there were people who saw a gunman behind Kennedy, mm -hmm. and so that's very right. interesting. There were people who saw a gun right at Kennedy's head, but those people could not connect Sirhan or identify him as a shooter. They assumed he was the shooter. Everybody assumed when they talked to the police – you know, that the person they saw was the shooter because the police kind of told them all there was one guy. So no matter who they saw and what he looked like, and whether he's tall, short, fat, thin, you know, blonde, dark haired, they all assumed they had seen Sirhan, but only a few of them actually had. So that's a huge problem. Now, uh, and, and it's a problem because the autopsy report shows that Robert Kennedy was shot from not more than an inch or so behind his right ear. And they knew that because they took pig's ears and shot at them and backed up the gun until they got the right powder burn match. And at about an inch to an inch and a half is the closest it could have been. Now, there's one witness who said, oh, Sirhan lunged at Kennedy. Well, Kennedy was shot four times from behind, not once. If Sirhan lunged at Kennedy, he still like didn't get close enough to make that shot. He was in people's hands. And honestly, that didn't happen. <laughs> The guy who said that was looking at them through a camera, and he said they were just silhouettes. So somebody lunged at Kennedy, but we can't say it was Sirhan. And those who saw them both said, no, that didn't happen. So again, it's not what they often say, oh, well, witnesses just miss things. But it's not what witnesses missed. It is what they saw that precludes anything else from having happened.
So just to finish what happened that night, how did Sirhan get arrested then? How did that yeah. all unfold? So, of course, he was thrown into the table and held down. And some people wanted to just kill him and choke the death out of mm-hmm. him. And, and uh, But they held him for the police. And interestingly yeah, like, enough, we don't want another – we don't want another yeah, – We don't uh, want another Oswald. Another Oswald, yeah, somebody yes. yelled. Yes, but but here's again. So there's there's big problems. One, he couldn't have killed Kennedy just from those facts alone. Those two, he's, there's no way he could have killed Kennedy. He should be paroled on that basis. But there's much more, and that's that there were at least provably on paper in the LAPD and FBI files thirteen bullets, and Sirhan's gun mm-hmm. could only hold eight. All right, there were eight bullets that the police accounted for. Seven uh, bullets retrieved from the victims because. Two were removed from Kennedy Mm -hmm. and one each from five other shooting victims. There were three bullet holes in the ceiling. So the police said, well, one bullet went up and came back down, but a third one went up and stayed, right? Because how do you get an odd number (laughs) from, you know, from below? And so that they're out of bullets now, but the FBI photographed, and I even have video of this, there's paneling on the door frames of the doors that Kennedy walked through, these big swinging doors, you know, leading from the pantry ultimately into the embassy room. And uh, in the center door post, there are two bullet holes. And in the far south part of the door frame, there are two more bullet holes. So now we're up to 12 bullets. And then there was a 13th bullet that was in an AP photo the day of the, you know, right after the shooting with mm-hmm. two police officers pointing at it. And the caption says the bullet is still in the hole. That bullet was in the back of the stage door that Kennedy had come out of. It was directly in line with a shot from the pantry, but it was slightly up a slope. And that's why it was mm-hmm. kind of at the bottom of it, but it would have been kind of level with where the steam table was. So, Easily 13 shots, and we haven't even talked about an audio tape that also found 13 shots, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. There's uh, there's news articles about that, too. Yeah, and I don't like to talk about the audio tape because, to me, that is something that can be subject to interpretation, mm-hmm. and different scientists are going to disagree as to what constitutes a bullet shot, although my favorite is in uh, Mel Eiton's book where he has an expert who says it was all Sirhan. I found seven shots for sure and three possible locations for the eighth shot. (laughs) In other words, he found 10 shot sounds, but he knew he had to limit it to eight so he wouldn't identify the final one. I mean, the intellectual dishonesty, and I don't know if it's dishonesty. Like, I don't know if the guy thinks he's lying or if yeah. it's just like this emotional un- inability to accept the truth that there were at least two gunmen firing, because that's the case. Now, in my research, it gets worse because a lot of people saw a visible flame coming out of uh-huh. Sir Hand's gun. And you don't see that when you're firing bullets. You only see a flame when you're firing blanks. That's what we see in Hollywood all the time. They use blanks for two reasons. One, it's a safety issue. But two, yeah. it shows like something coming out of the gun. And people right, are right, so right. used it's the to visual representation. It. Right. And they're so, because otherwise it's like, it's much less exciting if there's no gunfire coming out. You don't know yeah. when the bullet went off or not. And, but in real life, there's no flame or anything coming out of a gun. It just well, goes I, off. I, I will say on the on the 22 that does seem. I mean, I have I have a rifle with a muzzle brake that does put out a a blast, a, a large blast of yeah. gas. But uh, I also I have a I have a 22 revolver. It mm-hmm. is a 
I mean, it's just like a, you know, and you fired it, right? Yeah. I fired it many times. And uh, yeah, there's not a very, um, it is not a very spectacular. Yeah, there might uh, be a little puff, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's like a little bit of smoke or something, but not yeah. a visible flame, not a shower of paper, and definitely not residue that look, you know, uh, Rayford Johnson, who was an Olympic decathlon champion, who, you know, participated in events started with a starter pistol all his life. And he said it looked like a starter pistol. It looked Mm. like a cap gun throwing off residue. And so there's that evidence too. There was also a number of sound witnesses who said it sounded like a cap gun. And we're talking people who were in the military, uh, the attorney general's assistant, you know, of the United States. I mean, high level people were saying it sounded like a cap gun, not just some hojo. I think, I think with here too is, is when I first like read about this when I was younger and read that there were like different theories on this, it was a little confusing to me because I'm like, well, it's a small room, you know, Mm -hmm. there's dozens and dozens of people there. How do you not just like everyone just not see this guy shoot him? But I, I you know, if you think about it a little more and especially you're reading a lot of the witness statements in here, Mm -hmm. this is a very confused, chaotic scene. I mean, even before any shots were fired. RFK, you know, a a guy who just won the California primary is being basically led at his elbow by a uh, the only other person with a gun in the room, um, (laughs) a security guard, uh, security guard who I found out worked for the CIA at least in later years, and probably at that point, then Eugene Caesar was working for Robert Mayhew and the Hughes organization. At the time that Mayhew was basically the connecting point between the CIA Mm -hmm. and Hughes. Hughes gave the CIA money for their operations. CIA used Hughes for cover for their operations. It was somewhat of an open relationship. But on the other hand, when the CIA tapped Mayhew to run the Castro assassination plots, he didn't get permission from Hughes. He just did that. Hughes later is like, what? Are you involved in that? He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, (laughs) CIA asked me to do this. Well, it's an open relationship. Yeah. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mayhew was on CIA retainer the entire time. And in the CIA's internal report on the Castro plots, they mentioned that basically they had complete control over Mayhew. Mayhew wouldn't sneeze if the CIA didn't approve it. And so for Thane Caesar, his guy to be there in the room, literally holding Kennedy. And I, yeah. I wish I had two of me here <laughs> because yeah, yeah. it's like, well, I can act Thane it out in my little square. Arm, yeah. But, but Kennedy is shot under the very arm that, right. that St. Caesar is holding. Caesar was like a big six foot kind of stocky guy. He could easily have fired those three shots and no one would have seen because he could have hit it with his own body. And there, yeah. after Kennedy fell, there was a witness who was very distressed because he saw the security guard standing and pointing a gun down at Kennedy and not at Sirhan. And mm. that freaked that guy out, Richard Lubick. Because he's like, why is he pointing there? Shouldn't he be looking for the shooter? And people have said, oh, Sirhan can't be firing blanks because that would mean there was yet another shooter in the pantry. Well, guess what? The story's been told inadequately for many years. And like I said, I literally read every pantry witness. I'm convinced there Mm -hmm. were at least four guns in that pantry based on the descriptions I have read. One of them was right next to where Sirhan was. He was standing on the table. Then he jumped down and ran out. People saw him running away with a gun in his hand. And he even looked like Sirhan, but he was significantly taller. taller. So again, if somebody saw just the face, they would have assumed it was Sirhan. 
but you know, from the witnesses who saw this man, and again, there are like three or four of them, it's clearly not Sirhan. Sirhan wasn't on the table till he was shoved there. This guy was on the table before Sirhan was shoved there. And then it's like they kind of switch positions as Sirhan's being shoved down, this guy's jumping off. And here's the other thing that happened. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, the confusion, the shooting happened so fast. None of the cameramen, because all the cameramen had turned their cameras off. You know, they had those big old cameras they yeah, had to carry yeah, around in yeah. those days. And, you know, they they couldn't get them up and on in time to capture the shooting. It was all over in like 40 seconds. It went by so fast. And some witnesses in the in the lobby saw a guy running like for his life across the lobby. And at that point, they didn't know Kennedy had been shot. So they had no idea why this guy was running, you know, like his pants were on fire and thought it was very odd and told the police about it later. Another guy ran into the lobby and actually got caught and handcuffed because mm-hmm. people were saying, stop him, get him. He's mm-hmm. got a gun. And yeah. if he did or didn't have a gun, uh, certainly that's been covered up. All right, it's possible he handed off the gun to somebody. There was what looked like a what they call a brush pass, <laughs> a high-speed brush mm-hmm. pass in the lobby uh, where it appears he might have switched with somebody. Uh, that man is named Michael Wayne. He's a highly suspicious character. He lied about people he knew all night. He collected press badges and then gave some of them away right before the shooting. Now, generous guy. If you're a collector, you don't just hand free things out. You keep them. That's the whole point of getting them. But at the em- embassy hotel, I mean, at the embassy room, uh, a press badge is like an all-access pass. You can go yeah, anywhere absolutely. in the hotel with a press badge. And so it's a much bigger story. And even people who, like, say it is a conspiracy, they mm-hmm. want to keep it simple because two people seems easier to believe than, like, ten. <laughs> But in reality, this was an intelligence operation. And when you stage something like that, it takes a team. You have spotters. You have people ready to clean up the evidence at the end. Somebody was seen digging bullets out of the wall in the pantry immediately after the shooting that wasn't even the sheriff. I mean, it's like there were people who knew what to do, how to cover it up, and they moved in immediately. So this was not a small little mob hit. This was a big deal. And they had to have plan A, plan B, and plan C, and probably Mm -hmm. D and E in place as well. That takes multiple, multiple people, both inside and outside, obviously, the surveillance units that would have had to have been there Yeah, and um, as well. There may have been a plot in Oregon. Somebody swore that they saw Sirhan bumped into him and he had a gun in his pants up at Oregon. There were people with the girl in a polka dot dress and either Sirhan or a lookalike at a place in Pomona where Kennedy was speaking. So I don't know if those were just scoping it out or if those were plots that didn't go off and this was finally the one that succeeded. We can't assume this was the first time they tried. In fact, there was a weird report in Israel in April of that year that Kennedy had been shot. And what's interesting is, of course, Kennedy wasn't shot. In Why April? No, did that? It's not. almost like they had planned an assassination mm. that didn't come off, but the press release ran anyway. Right. And, and there's many stories yeah. of international, quote unquote, press releases coming out a bit too early and yes. being witness to those yes. as well. Yes. The Chilean coup was announced a day yep. before Absolutely. it happened. Yes. <laughs> By Hal Hendricks, who had a close relationship with the CIA. So Sirhan is is tackled by uh, a, a number of people, including George Plimpton, speaking of the CIA. Yes, speaking of the CIA. Although it's uh, interesting because George uh, Plimpton gave some of the best evidence that Sirhan was 
uh, in a state of hypnosis. So here's where it gets yes. really crazy. So again, yeah, why yeah. would Sirhan agree to fire blanks as part of a plot? And yes. if he was conscious of the <laughs> plot, you know, he would be the distractor in the magic deck pulling focus so the other shooters could get in. And this, by the way, happened in a plot against Jimmy Carter. The police literally caught a guy firing blanks, but they were able to shut it down before the plot took off. So mm. it was like a dry run they were doing. Mm. All yeah, right. yeah. But Plimpton talked about, he's like, I can't tell you what he looked like, but I can tell you about his eyes. They were enormously calm and peaceful. And interestingly enough, dilated pupils is one of the signs of hypnosis you cannot fake. And so if people are trying to determine who's hypnotized or not, that's one of the things they look for is are there pupils? dilated because you can't just do that to yourself. It only happens when you're in this relaxed uh, state. Or on and, LSD. Yeah. And, and in my book, I talk about the Kim Jong-nam assassination, which was the half-brother of Kim Jong-un of North Korea. And by the way, Kim Jong-nam would have been next in succession. So kind of an important guy. Two women show up at the airport. They're given a bottle of water and a towel. Mm -hmm. One is to spray people. The other is to wipe them off. And this is all filmed for television and always oh, this fun. Except when Kim Jong-nam comes out, the towel they wipe him with has a VX nerve agent on it. And he dies a few hours later. So then the question is, how guilty are the women? Did yes. they know they were participating in an assassination plot? Was it kind of accidental homicide? I mean, how how would you charge that? And my argument with Sirhan is that he was hypnotized to fire in the pantry, but not at Robert Kennedy. He was firing at what he thought were targets. And again, this sounds crazy and, oh, I'm making up excuses and he's lying. And But Dan Brown, who's one of the hypnosis experts in the country right now, written textbooks, used at many universities, testified in court. He got 60 hours with Sirhan. And Sirhan had been hypnotized by his original defense team, but in a mm -hmm. horrible way. Sirhan, reach for your gun. There's Kennedy. Sirhan, reach for your gun and shoot him. Do you remember that, Sirhan? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, trying yeah. to lead the witness. And of course, Sirhan couldn't remember because that was not in his brain. But when under open-ended questions, what do you see? What do you hear? Who are you with? What's going on? Sirhan remembered being with a girl on the trace stack, or he'd followed her in there because she had an unspoken availability. You know, he was yes. turned I, on he, by her. I, he said, and I quote, <laughs> I thought I was going to hook up with her. Yeah, yeah. He thought he was going to get lucky that night. And Fair so enough. He's following this girl around like a puppy dog. She gets him on the trace stacker, and he remembers seeing a door open. And, it, and he only remembers this under hypnosis because outside of hypnosis, he says he has no memory. Yes. And in my book, I have a lot of things he can't remember. He can't remember if he's married or not. He can't remember what car he drove. He can't even remember if they've given him his Miranda rights, even though they read it to him three times. And he doesn't remember Bill Jordan's name, even though he had just given it to him. Some drugs, and I've been under anesthesia. I don't know if you ever have, but that was my experience coming out of anesthesia. I remember asking the same question, is it over? Is it over? And no matter how they answered me, it didn't stick in my brain. It was the most mm. frustrating thing. Mm -hmm. I literally couldn't remember like a word later what they had just said. And I just remember asking, is it over? Is it over? And they must have, you know, they must hate that because I get the, I guess they get that a lot. But there are drugs that will make you forget short-term memory. And I really think Sirhan was drugged. And I make that argument in my book. But uh, anyway, so 
when Kennedy walks in, the girl moves him to the center of the room and pinches mm-hmm. his back a certain way. And suddenly he thinks he's back at the target range where he'd been all day. And he sees the big targets in front of him and pulls out his gun and is firing. And again, that sounds so convenient. You know, it sounds like a lie, right? Except that I went to a hypnosis show. I went to a whole bunch of hypnosis shows, but this one I'll never forget because during the show, the woman had be, been hypnotized to believe she'd gotten a $35,000 check. It was just mm-hmm. plain money, right? That's so like, mean. Oh, you you know, should be blah, like, blah, it's blah. for $50 or something. I know, really, $35,000. She was really excited. And I had talked to her for like 20 minutes before the show, perfectly normal, perfectly nice, perfectly intelligent, not some weirdo, not somebody with brain impairment, just very normal. Yeah. And so during the show, I see this. And then after the show, I actually went to look for the hypnotist because I wanted to ask him about Sirhan. And he kind of got freaked out <laughs> and literally like ran out of the area. I mean, it was like, yeah, yeah, did yeah. not want to talk about that. Too young yeah. to have been involved. There's no way he was involved. But as the crowds were clearing, I noticed this woman still there looking incredibly distressed. And mm-hmm. I went up to her and I'm like, you know, are you okay? Did you lose your family? She goes, well, I have to give this back. No. I'm like, oh, it's just play money. I don't think he cares. And she said, no, it's a $25,000 check. And I'm like, oh my God, she literally cannot see what's in her hand. She is in the grip of a hypnotic illusion. And I tried to shake her out of it. I'm like, can I hold it with you? Hey, let's <laughs> yeah, bring it yeah. closer. Look in the upper right. Do you see where it says 100? And she cut me off. She says, no, it's a $35,000 check or whatever it was, 25, 35. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. Was, I was freaked out at that point because I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen somebody completely convinced of a reality that wasn't there. And so after that, I knew that Sirhan must have seen something else in the pantry. And it wasn't till I got to Dan Brown's testimony, that, you know, his write-up for the courts of what he had seen with Sirhan. Then I actually believed Sirhan. He thought he was firing at targets. He did yeah. not plan to kill Kennedy. He did not want to kill Kennedy. He said in the court in the original trial, I loved Kennedy. I don't know why I would have wanted to kill him. And so his, you know, the... His defense, and I use that term generously, his defense team, with air quotes, um, told him it would be better if he said, like, he did it for Israel or something. So they helped him craft this narrative. <laughs> I mean, too, not for Israel, My defense for team has told me that a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a, he's, he's a Palestinian. And so they said, you know, it'd be better, you know, if we frame this right. as something, you know, that's political and then the jury will believe you. And But the thing is, it wasn't. And his brother Munir said, Lisa, you know, Sirhan's politics have been blown way out of proportion. We didn't talk about that that much. We didn't argue about it that much. And, of course, that became then the big cover story. Well, Sirhan is a grieved Palestinian. In fact, one of the well, books on what, my shelf is like the first, you know, the yeah. forgotten terrorist. You know? Well, that's, that's, uh, that's, what, that's what I had always heard because being like sort of like uh, – somewhat aware of this assassination, you know, just growing up, it was like, mm-hmm. well, this guy shot RFK because of RFK's support for Israel. And I think sale of like 50, 50, uh, yeah, bombers, bombers or yeah. bomber yeah. jets to, uh, to Israel at some point. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's, 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 it, it does, it definitely does not seem like that. I mean, even, in, even in the, um, 
like him getting questioned by the police. He, I mean, he has, like you were saying, he, he's very confused. Doesn't remember, like, have yeah. any short-term he's memory. He's so confused that but, the DA yeah. who comes into the room says, he, he's trying to talk to him, and he finally, like, stops, and he changes the subject. And he goes, do you know where you are? Do you know why you're here? You've been charged. Yeah. And and Sirhan kind of mumbles, and he's like, you know, we're, we're in jail. You know, we're, and and he's like, do you understand what I've said? And Sirhan's like, so long as you say it. I mean, yeah. It, the DA's assistant, how you know Howard knew there was a problem. He could tell that Sirhan was in an altered state even after the assassination. And like I said, they they're trying to find out his name, and at one point they come in and they call him Jesse, and they think his name's Jesse because one of the other suspects who was captured but released evidently was named Jesse Greer, and so they thought now we know because they didn't know Sirhan's name, he had no ID on him, and Munir said at least we all left our wallets in the car. That's what you did in those mm-hmm. days, mm, and yeah. they just left him in the glove compartment, so he didn't have any ID on him. And uh, it's just an incredible story, which is why I wrote a book. I can't explain it in yeah. you know forty five minutes or an hour, or even five hours. It's twenty five hours on audiobook. It's a lot of information. <laughs> I do want to pause and go back to the hypnosis stuff because I think that maybe to, you know, some people either who, I don't know, maybe haven't listened to our podcast for that long or maybe are new to this story, that that might sound so out of left field, like you're saying, like, this is just something that, you know, you make up on the stand. This is, uh, you know, something you grab for, you know, last ditch effort kind of defense or whatever. But you say that, you know, the, the, um, the you know hypnotist you saw was too young for him to have been involved right. in doing right. it just for hand. <laughs> but the U.S. government is has been involved in that kind of stuff for quite Since some the time. 50s. And yes, <laughs> yes, and you know we have you know you know offhandedly sometimes we make reference to MK Ultra and and similar programs to that. But for Project our listeners Artichoke. who aren't familiar, can you explain a little bit some yes, of that? Yes, I will. Yes, I will. So one of the things that happened during the Korean War is our Koreans. Uh, soldiers were captured and confessed to war crimes. And they talked about that they said we'd sent biological warfare into Korea. Well, guess what? I met a guy who was forced to join the CIA when he learned that we were sending biological weapons into Korea. So it was actually a true story. But the cover story was that, well, they were hypnotized and programmed to say that and, and that they were all given show trials. And, and, and so then Alan Dulles being the psychotic genius that he was at the (laughs) CIA at the time, uh, he went to, you know, Congress and said, Oh my God, they're brainwashing our, so you know our soldiers we need to find investigate hypnosis and find ways to get the same kind of information from our POWs that we've captured and to prevent them from being hypnotizable but we need lots of money to experiment and so and the navy did its own separate experiments mm-hmm. yeah. and the army has done its own experiments i mean every branch has done experiments but in the 50s the CIA did a lot of them and one of them almost i was i almost identical to what happened in the pantry it was called Project Artichoke, and they posed it initially as a question in their documents. Can a man of redacted nationality be made to uh, commit an act of attempted assassination as part of a larger operation? So it's like, 
can we hypnotize somebody to stand and fire blanks so that yeah. other shooters can get in and do the job? And the answer clearly, sadly, is yes. And that's the other thing I found that I've been, you know, every time I go to a hypnosis show, you always hear the same thing. Oh, we can never make somebody do something against their will. That's true and a lie at the same time, because you can't, you just can't do it overtly. I can't tell you, go kill your mother. You're not going to do it. But if I say a spy has captured your family and a woman who's going to look exactly like your mother, who's been trained to cry and laugh and talk to you and knows your whole family history is going to come in here and kill you if you don't kill her first. And you'll never get your real mother back unless you kill mm -hmm. this spy. You know, in hypnosis, somebody might kill their own mother with that kind of a setup because you've now changed the reality. And so with Sirhan, it's much simpler than that. They just change the reality, make him think he's back at the firing range. That would be an easy thing to program somebody to do. It, it, his lawyers called it range mode, you know. Have you ever seen that yeah. uh, Darren Brown special where yes. he uh, programs yes. a person? I, yeah. I, I went to one of his shows once. And, Darren uh, Brown is a genius and a light worker because yeah. Darren Brown's whole shtick is kind of helping you see how the trick is done. So yeah, that you yeah. are better protected from that sort of thing. I have the greatest he, respect for, for Darren Brown. And he did guess he, the uh, pin yes. number of the person I went with. And, did he really? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, God, that's which so was freaky. <laughs> very weird. Uh, yeah. And then my name, which was, yeah, it was oh strange. Oh, my gosh. He's, but, he's quite skilled. But did you know the Discovery Channel did a replica of the Darren Brown experiment and got the exact same result? They I did not know that. Yes. This is a much lesser known show, and it's not on the internet. But I found it, and I watched it. And they got hmm. a guy... To, and they they set it up so the guy thought whatever he was participating was over. And he was mm -hmm. to carry a gun, and they made very clear it was loaded. And he got to the bottom of the stairs, and the hypnotic signal was given, and he fired, and the person showed down dead. Now, unlike in the Darren Brown show where the guy was kind of like still like – he didn't have a big reaction to seeing himself shoot <laughs> – you know, yeah. famous comedian on well, stage. Well, it was Peter. Hi but it this, was Christopher Hitchens, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it wasn't. But that's funny. Um, oh, well, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. No, I, that would have been funnier, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but in this other show, the guy was literally so freaked out when he saw on video himself shooting. He's like, "Please tell me he's still alive." He was just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I shot somebody. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they bring the guy in because it was an actor. It was all staged. And then he started to relax a little bit. But he was as freaked out as you can imagine that Sirhan must have felt like, I killed somebody? How could I not know I killed somebody? What the heck happened? His first words to his mother, Munir, told me this the other day. You know, she's like, what happened? Sirhan's like, I can't remember. And can you imagine now? So every time he goes to parole, he has to confess to a crime he doesn't remember committing. And he has to apologize to the Kennedy family for a crime he doesn't remember committing and doesn't have any sense that he did commit. And the parole board won't free him unless he shows appropriate remorse. Yeah. So it's like he's in a catch-22. And so he's mm -hmm. pretty much said over the years whatever his lawyers have told him to say because he literally does not remember. But he does feel genuine grief for the Kennedy family because he actually liked Robert Kennedy. He was an immigrant, and Kennedy talked about immigrants and the brown people and the black people. And Sirhan, as a minority, he really admired what Kennedy was doing. 
And so to me, the saddest blow of all comes now with some of the Kennedy children, not all of them. Robert Kennedy had 11 children. Two of them are now dead. Six. Of I know them, Liz's, Liz's yeah. eyes opened up. I know. <laughs> yeah. Every time I, I, did I read not that, realize like, he had Jesus that Christ, many he was forty-two. He was it's like <laughs> they didn't believe yeah, him. You knew you could be more of a Wilt, like a Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, my God, yeah, <laughs> you rival like, Jack. I whatever, guess that's why Bobby yeah. and Jack always said that rivalry was. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, when eleven people say kids. that, like you know, they try and make up stories about Bobby having affairs. It's like no. <laughs> That guy really hey, he's loved just his a wife. good Catholic boy. <laughs> he really loved his wife. Those Catholic boys are always popping out, those kids. Yeah. I, I will say a detail from your book that I had no idea. I mean, there's a lot of details I didn't know about. But one of the details that really, really stuck out to me uh, was that, and if I'm getting this wrong, please correct me. But sure. Bobby slept at John Frankheimer's house. Yes. The night before. And that, of course, is the director of the original, obviously not the later, very bad yes, uh, Manchurian Candidate. the original Candidate. wonderful film. Yeah, the Incredible Manchurian movie. Candidate. Yes. And yeah. a consultant to that film mm-hmm. said on the radio right after the assassination that oh, he yes. suspected Sirhan had been hypnotized. And the thing is, a lot of us suspected he was the hypnotist and that was the closest to a brag he could do because <laughs> he was a well, big later, didn't something? Didn't that hypnotist get in a little bit of trouble later too? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So here's the guy saying, you can't hypnotize people, do something against his will. And then these women sued him for having sex while they were under <gasps> hypnosis. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, yes. The, yeah. He suddenly, you know, kind of just disappeared from the public scene after. <laughs> He's like, actually, I misspoke. I said, you can. Uh, you can. It's. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, unfortunately, that didn't just happen then. That is still mm-hmm. happening. I quoted some cases from like the 1990s. Like yeah. a woman went into the pharmacy and then came home and felt weird. It's like something strange has happened. She figured out the pharmacist had hypnotized her and had sex with her. Jesus. You know, it's just, it's. People don't have any idea how powerful hypnosis is. And I encourage you to go to shows, but I encourage you, go up and try and listen to the people after the show is over. Because it wasn't just this woman. This woman, it was the first time I saw an illusion, but I had seen another guy completely denying he'd done all the things he'd, we'd just seen him do on stage. And he's like, oh, I was just fooling around. And he's like, I didn't mean any of that. And then his friend said, well, Sounds you like just me. did this. He's like, no, I didn't. And I'm like, oh my God, he doesn't know what he did. Well, what's crazy to me is like people will see that stuff and be like, oh my God, that's so crazy, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, imagine that now with the full funding and fully like backed research of the U.S. military for half a century. Exactly. That's it. Half a century. And it in my book, I lay out several documents that show they had operational successes with this. Mm -hmm. All right. They were they always put it in couch terms because they can't say, yeah, we were able to program somebody to kill somebody. You can't say that because that's a crime. That's murder. And mm. But they all but say that. They all but say that. They stop right short of that line. But it's very clear that that's what has happened. And this is something that probably is continuing to this day under different names. When uh, When Watergate happened... Richard Nixon went to the CIA and said, you got a cover for me. CIA refused. And so Nixon fired Richard Helms. Richard mm-hmm. Helms then went and had all the MK Ultra and Project Darty Choke and all the mind control <laughs> files burned. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, you wouldn't do that unless you had something serious to hide, right? If they'd never had any success, there's literally no reason to burn those files. Yeah. The only reason to burn them is because you've had some major successes you don't ever want to surface. They're they're failures too. I mean, there's that there's that one uh that woman in Candy. I mean, there's there's some very prominent um Candy Jones. I guess I would say proven victims of of I mean, obviously there's there's probably many more that are unproven, but people have come out. Well, there are few that have won like yeah. million dollar lawsuits against the yeah. CIA in Canada because the McGill Institute up there was being funded exactly. by the CIA, and they were doing these horrific psychic driving experiences where they were literally trying to wipe people's minds completely. Clear they turned that they turned memories. that one woman into a vegetable. Uh, I mean. These are people who, by the way, cut off monkey heads and sewed them on each other's body and tried to bring them back to life. Yes. I mean, this is how crazy these people are. They will stop at nothing because if you can do it to monkeys, how cool would it be to give your favorite spy a new body when his old body gets mm-hmm. shot up? I mean, they literally were doing these kinds of things. These are sick people you yeah, know, doing yeah. very sick experiments and it is not at all beyond the realm that they set Sirhan up in this plot and let's just now just one step back all right let's say Sirhan is guilty for a second i don't believe that for a second but let's just pretend for a moment he mm-hmm. is even so he is now 77 there are guys in their 20s and 30s who are really serious criminals who are not being jailed. They're being released because our prisons are overcrowded and we can't bring them all in. So it mm-hmm. makes more sense to free Sirhan, who's at 77. How big a threat is he going to be? I mean, it's like he's he's weak. He's old. He can't run very fast. Yeah. you know. And he never had any crimes before. He had a perfect record in prison. Why wouldn't you parole somebody like that? I don't want us to live in a country where one family's grief trumps the law. And the way the laws were set up recently, anybody who is 26 or younger at the time of their crime in California must be prioritized for release. So the parole board did follow the law, and they had Mm -hmm. no reason to keep him based on his perfect record. Also, Munir Sirhan went and got letters from the neighbors, and they all said, yeah, bring him here. We don't care. We trust him. You know, we know that family. We don't have a problem with him living here. And that was a big factor in the parole board also releasing him. So it's very disturbing to hear, like Carrie Kennedy, I heard one of her interviews, and uh, George Gascon, our Los Angeles DA, also for the first time ever said prosecutors should not attend parole hearings because their job ended at you know as soon as they were jailed now it's really up to the prison system to decide mm-hmm. when they're rehabilitated because if you keep re you know processing the crime as if no one ever evolves or ever grows up or ever matures that's just ridiculous mm-hmm. and Carrie Kennedy is like well guess gone that was just a ruling it's not a law and she's like we're going to change that and i'm thinking I hope you don't, because there are a lot of people incorrectly jailed, not just Sirhan. There are a lot of people who should be freed, and I do believe in redemption. I am Catholic. I was raised Catholic. It's a huge tenet of the faith that redemption and forgiveness is like the highest thing you can do, and the act of forgiveness is like the most important thing you can do Mm -hmm. as a Catholic. And so if you cannot forgive this man, and like I said, and bonus, he's actually innocent, you know, 
then then you're the one with the problem. And that that really disturbs me. And like I said, I have great sympathy. I am a friend of Robert Kennedy Jr.'s. I love their their father so much. You know, Robert Kennedy was like my political idol. I was like eight years old when I saw a little documentary mm-hmm. on his life. Mm-hmm. And the eight-year-old me said, oh, my God, the best politician I will ever know has already died, and I'm still a kid. I literally had that thought. And that's why it's hard to talk about him without getting emotional, because I loved Robert Kennedy. But mm-hmm. I love justice and truth, too. And for that reason, Sirhan must be freed. Not should be, not could be, must be freed. He didn't do it. It was a crime the way society has put this on. And again, the news media, it's as if no new facts have ever surfaced yeah, <laughs> since Sirhan yeah, was first yeah. jailed, despite the LAPD's files weren't even released till 1988. So there's like a 20-year blackout on this case. When I found the files, they had only they were only like four years old. It was 1992. Well, the, the thing yeah. is with a lot of the files, too, I mean, you mentioned the doorframe earlier. Uh, that doorframe... <laughs> Is destroyed, no longer burned. around. Neither yeah. are thousands of photographs taken at at the scene of it. I mean, and this and is yet they you know, kept these photographs that show nothing of significance. So again, it's <laughs> like the MK Ultra records. You don't exactly. burn or my freaking Instagram. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> if you're going to burn something, why didn't you burn these photos? They don't show anything. Yeah. What did you really burn? Yeah, the door frames. Well, so so how is yeah how <laughs> is so Sirhan Sirhan's been in 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 prison since I mean. Christ, it's 1968. I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. one prisoner um, or another. Um, yeah. How how has how have how have things been for him in there? Like how has he sort of like reacted uh, he's, over he's, the he's years? Because it's been to decades a, and decades and yeah, decades. It, of he's this. kept a low profile, but there have been incidents over the year. There was a recent stabbing attempt where Sirhan mm-hmm. was actually injured. And it was interesting because that was right before his before his previous parole hearing. It's like somebody didn't want him to get out of jail. And at that point, he was literally reading my book. When he finally got back to his cell like a week later, my book was Whoa. gone. I don't know if the prison officials took it or whatever, mm. but he complained. I'm actually sort of surprised considering yeah. <laughs> considering the, um, the, the insane restrictions around getting books in prison well, and the and stuff they let you have yes. in there. I'm surprised they let him have that. Yeah, well, my publisher had to send it. I was not allowed to send it. No one else could yeah. send it. Only the publisher, and then they ripped the entire cover off. So they yes, don't have that's a big hard. thing that they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Move. But he did have a copy. He was reading it. He he called me, and he was like, "Oh my God, listen to this!" <laughs> you know? So that was very gratifying to me. But then after the stabbing, yeah. and I asked my publisher to send him a new copy. She's like, "Well, what happened to the old copy?" I'm like, you know, <laughs> "I don't know, but it's not there anymore. <laughs> send him another one." I hope she did. I I think she did. <laughs> but what so. what has what has his um. Like, what has he said about what happened that night? Like, what well, has he said about any thing. possible, and like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, he said if paroled, he and his brother would be happy to leave the country if that would make people feel more comfortable. Mm. You know, two, obviously he's expressed, like I said, he's expressed remorse over and over at every parole hearing. That's a big lie. The media is like, he's never claimed responsibility. He's never expressed remorse. He's definitely expressed remorse. But he, he also has never claimed to remember what happened because he doesn't. And I honestly believe him on this point. And so people always say, oh, if you got to meet Sarah, what would you ask him? And I'm like... How does it feel to look at the sky? You know, it's like, that's what I'd Mm want to know because I know he doesn't remember. And I don't want the last few years of his life for people to be, what do you remember about the pantry? Because he doesn't remember. It's like he really, truly doesn't. (laughs) 
Now, is this the first time that Sirhan has been up for parole? No, it's like the 16th time. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, And he's been denied every time, but that's because, again, every time the prosecutors are there to argue to keep him in jail. And so I think Gascon did a remarkable and generous thing. And again, this wasn't just for Sirhan. It's for everybody. Because, again, the prisons are overcrowded. Uh, and old people are just not a threat. They're not the same level of mm-hmm. threat that the young people are. And and in Sirhan's case, again, he has a place to go, and his brother is partially blind. Munir could really use the help around the house. You know, it's yeah. hard for him, and to have an extra set of hands and eyes, you know, would be tremendous. So it's like both brothers could help each other. <laughs> I think something that was surprising to me is watching the state intervene like over and over over the years. I know that there was even something odd that I believe it was Kamala Harris's office when she was attorney general. She um, she like stepped in and said, even if there is evidence of a second shooter, it would have no impact on his parole, which makes Come absolutely on. no sense. Right. And, the, and I believe that was about is- auditory evidence. Well, it was, there was a request for a new evidentiary hearing, and that went okay. to Kamala's desk. And her feeling is like, even if there was a second shooter, he's still guilty, so what's the point? I'm like, but if there's a second shooter, maybe Sirhan wasn't the guy who killed Robert Kennedy. And if he's a second shooter, then the whole story is different. And as I said, what if he's the innocent patsy set up to take the fall for a bigger plot? And I read... Not only the writ, you know, requesting the new hearing, but I read the response and Kamala's office's response, which I believe was written by Mel Eiton. And I have to say, mm. it was like the most juvenile, yeah, 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 those terrible, it was like name calling of conspiracy mm-hmm. theorists. It was mm. so unprofessional. And Kamala signed that. And I'm like, if I were Kamala, I'd say, even if I agree with you, this is unprofessional and juvenile. You got to rewrite that. I would, there's well, no way I would. She did like to run her office a certain way. <laughs> Kamala yeah. does not get to talk about conspiracy theorists when she has the Masonic police force uh, working <laughs> on her staff. I don't even remember that story. But that that, no, you don't get to. That's, 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 that. You don't get to do that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I was I was not surprised that having lost all her primaries, you know, not winning one yes. single primary, she become vice president. This is the, the kind of payoff people get when they cover up crimes of state. And in yeah. my book, I actually talk about how after the trial, everybody who participated in the cover-up got a bump in their career, every single one of them. And the judge who, you know, definitely interfered and did some pretty crazy things during the trial to make sure Sirhan went down that seemed extra legal to me. Um, it turned out he had a nephew who had been jailed without the possibility of parole. But after Sirhan was made guilty, then the judge gets the DA of LA to go represent his nephew, and then his nephew gets a chance for parole. It's like everybody got their little payoff. It's just you know, and I understand it's like that's the way the world works, but that doesn't mean it should it should work that way. And we should not roll over and just say, well, that's the way things happen. No, we have to call it out at every turn and say this is wrong. You know, innocent people have gone to jail for this. And by the way, one of the reasons I called my book a lie too big to fail is because if the LAPD ever admitted what they did to Sirhan and the way they framed him, Guess what? Sirhan wasn't the only one. 
And there would be hundreds, if not thousands of cases that would need to be reopened. And so it's very much in their interest and the county's interest to continue to repeat the lie because there's a huge, you know, financial liability yeah. if they admit mm-hmm. guilt. Yeah, and there's so a lot people, of yeah, there's money at stake. And bottom line, people aren't going to give up that money to free Sirhan, sadly. Yeah, a lot of overlapping state interests keeping him in jail and keeping, you know, the story from being investigated. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you guys for be- being curious, for one, being diligent, for two. Thanks for actually reading the book. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of people have told it's me they read the book. book. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, we'll link to it in the in the notes. Any of our listeners who are interested in the case, and as you should be, <laughs> um, I mean, it's just meticulously documented. It's yeah. it's difficult to convey over air because there's so much to get into. But the amount of uh, work that you've done and and documentation and following, you know, scraps of paper and you know mm-hmm. FBI files, LAPD files. I mean, it's just really really meticulous incredible journalistic work really really incredible yeah i got i got to say so lisa is not bullshitting you guys here today there yeah. is a insane amount of stuff that is just like i'm sure i'm sure that's how you must have felt at times because there is an incredible <laughs> like amount of stuff that have gone all around me from when <laughs> yes. i wrote the book and i have not yet cleaned it up because i was tired for like three <laughs> years after the book came out i'm slowly just now starting to put it all away <laughs> yes but i mean for me it, it seems like it is the definitive account of 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 what happened i mean it is it is really excellent um thank you so much I, Thank you. Thank you so much for writing it. Um, I, I had one, we got to wrap up, but I have one question I, I, I really want to ask, uh, which is of every single person involved in this in any way, whether they were there that night or whether they were operating behind the scenes, who would you most like to talk to under hypnosis about this? Hmm. Oh boy. Thane Caesar. What was his exact role? Because in my book, I argue that although I believe he made the three shots under the arm, I don't believe he made the head shots. But I do believe he absolutely tried his best to kill him (laughs) from his position. Uh, But yeah, I'd love to get him to talk about his relationship with Mayhew and what his orders were. If I could talk Mm -hmm. to anybody, that's who I'd want to talk to. That's that's sort of what I figured was either going to be him or Mayhew. Yeah, um, <laughs> Mayhew would just lie, so why bother Thane? I I actually went to Thane Caesar's old house in Simi Valley. You know, I'd been told, of course, he's moved to the Philippines, but he's yeah, still yeah. Te- he's still technically the owner of two properties in Simi Valley, or one of them anyway, for sure. And so I called up Jim DiEugenio. I'm like, Jim, you want to go to Thane's house? He's like, Lisa, are we going to come back alive? I said, I don't know, but let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, he's not going to shoot you, us on his doorstep yeah, you know, yeah, in front yeah. of all the neighbors. I, you know, I just knew that was a pretty safe bet. I figured he just wouldn't yeah. come out or wouldn't Well, maybe when your back us. is turned. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I am fearless that way. It's like, I yeah. want to know. I'm not afraid to ask anybody anything. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I actually I ended up going to a restaurant right next to uh, the the former hotel. Now it's like a group. It's like six schools there. It's the Kennedy. It's the Robert F. Kennedy yeah. schools. Yes, and in fact, I testified at the school board hearing because they wanted to tear it down. And I, I begged them to find a way to preserve the pantry for future testing. Paul yeah. Schrade was actually 
upset at me for that because he's like, Lisa, it's rotting. You know, it's like they can't do anything to save it anyway. And and the Kennedy family definitely didn't want a memorial. They didn't want another Dealey Plaza where people yeah. go every year and talk about what happened there. They wanted to turn a negative into a positive. And I totally get that, mm-hmm. you know, and I support them in that in the end. But it is a shame because the embassy room is now the library for the schools. But I don't think the kids there are ever told the story of what happened there. And yeah. it's sad because it's like they're literally right there. The steps Sandy Serrano sat on. Oh, we didn't even talk about the girl in the polka dot dress. Should we talk about that for a minute? I do think it's important because. I, yeah, I, 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 we can't not. Yeah. All witnesses with evidence of conspiracy that had gone public had to be discredited for the low nut story to hold. And so Sandra was the very first witness to conspiracy. Right after the shooting, we're talking like 2 a.m., you know, like an hour and a half later, she's on national TV in the morning telling mm-hmm. this incredible story. And she said, you know, before Kennedy came down to speak, I saw three people go up the stairs where I was sitting. She was on the back Southwest fire escape stairs at the, the, the hotel is weird. Cause it straddled like two ground levels. There was like a higher ground level and a lower ground level. Cause it was literally on a hill or a bank, but she was like on the upper level where it wasn't ground level. And there were stairs to the bottom and it was a hot, you know, night. So she was sitting outside cooling off and three people stepped over her and walked up. And she noticed the girl, especially because she had a friend with a dress that was very similar. So it just caught her attention. And it was a girl in a white dress with dark polka dots and a guy in a gold shirt. And then a young, slender, you know, guy in blue jeans and a blue top. And that was Sirhan. She didn't know that at the time, but that was Sirhan going up with them. And then... After the shooting, you know, all of a sudden there's this commotion and two of the people come flying back out, but the guy in the blue shirt didn't because he was captured in the pantry. And and the girl is yelling as they're coming out the fire escape steps. She's saying, we shot him, we shot him. And Sandra goes, who did you shoot? And she said, Senator Kennedy and ran off. And, and Sandy made very clear that her attitude was like, yay, we did it. We got him. Mm. And in my book, I explained that there was a guy right at that fire escape door who seemed to be part of the plot. Two NBC wives of producers, NBC producers' wives, basically, mm-hmm. saw this man and it looked like he had a radio to his you know, cheek most of the night. And he looked very intense and serious in a way that didn't match the celebratory mood everybody else had because it was a victory party, right? But Maybe he was a Humphrey like guy. That. Yeah, because people have often said, why would she run out yelling, we shot him? And I think she was talking to the guy at the door who was probably stationed there to make sure it didn't get locked so they could get away. And there were like five young women who saw the same pair, the girl in the white dress and the guy in the gold sweater with Sirhan. So it wasn't just Sandy that saw that, but Sandy didn't know that and the police didn't tell her that. Instead, they said, you couldn't have seen that. You know, that doesn't make any sense. The girl couldn't have said it. She probably said they shot Kennedy. She's like, I know what I heard. I'm like, no, you don't, Sandy. That's not what she said. And the guy who put her on a lie detector test, first they take her out to dinner um, mm-hmm. she's underage, but they, he buys her wine and steak. All right. By 10 PM. Now she's tired. She's got a little wine in her, got steak, you know, feeling full, probably not all that comfortable. And she'd brought her aunt with her cause she didn't want to be alone with the police cause she didn't trust them. She'd already been interviewed a couple of times and they were kind of, mm-hmm. you know, forcefully trying to get her to change her story even then. So, 
Uh, he brings her into the room, and then the cop sends the ant out of the room, and the ant leaves. And I wanted to kill the ant as I'm reading that because it's like, how dare you leave this young girl yeah. alone when the whole reason you're there is to protect her? So I was really mad at the ant. And uh, and then a, a two-hour session starts. So like I said, she's already tired and whatever. And now she's strapped in a chair. She literally physically can't leave. Yeah, that's what they do. They strap and, you in. And he runs this like interrogation session. It starts really simple and generous. But then it gets more and more harsh. You know, if you love the Kennedys, you wouldn't say this. You wouldn't make up this story. And I actually quote a large part of the transcript in my book because they didn't just do it to Sandy. They did this mm-hmm. kind of thing to everybody yeah. with witnesses that had evidence of conspiracy. It just – they weren't trying to find the truth. They were trying to create a truth for the public that had nothing to do with what they actually knew or had found. And that and, shouldn't happen. <laughs> and let, less people believe that like the girl in a polka dot dress is like a meme or like kind of like a, you know, like the umbrella man, you know, one of these like sort of like. <sighs> I have like 24 that, like, witnesses to her in my exactly. file. In yes. fact, I was on the set of the film Bobby um, mm. in part because I offered them free help. You know, I was like the mm-hmm. only one who didn't want a fee to be a consultant. And so, and I took my girl, my polka, I'm like, like you just somewhere in one of the scenes you have to have a girl in a polka dot dress. Oh, and you here's have to. why. And I showed his researcher and I had arranged the files like in progressive order. <laughs> and literally her jaw hung lower and lower and lower and lower as <laughs> she went through the file. <laughs> I wish I had filmed it because it's like by the end of it she looked at me like Oh my God, there was a girl in a polka dot dress there. And she was part of the plot. It was so obvious when you go through, because again, the witness statements all match. Mm-hmm. They all describe the same girl. And uh, anyway, read the book, yeah, read the book. I, it's, There's so uh, yeah, much more. I will say, it is. there is a ton. Of, I mean, even just on the polka dot dress stuff, the detail about the LAPD buying a bunch of polka dot dresses and showing <laughs> them to people. I would love to know what happened to their, their the LAPD's personal collection of uh, yeah they're like 14 dresses and and then they tried to say because vince DePiero and sandy hadn't identified the exact same dress that proved there was no such girl it's like well none of the dresses were the exact dress so they had differing opinions about which one was closest you know and this woman to date has never been positively identified for sure i mean there are people who've made like allegations about who she is but yeah yeah every year somebody calls me with a new you know it's this girl and here's why and i always hear them out and by the end of it it's like nope nope you don't have yeah. it <laughs> and then they get all upset with me it's like sorry you don't have it <laughs> well so. lisa it has been an absolute pleasure having you on such a pleasure thank you all um, so much <laughs> where can our semi-literate troglodyte type listeners uh <laughs> crawl out of their caves and use their one <laughs> remaining functional eye <laughs> to uh, to go and buy your book. Oh my gosh! If you're in the LA area, uh, <laughs> it's at the bookstore near me. Uh, Barnes and Noble carries it. Uh, Amazon, of course, carries it. But please support independent bookstores if you can. Mm-hmm. Those who don't have it can buy it. So it's like they can order it for you. So please support your independent bookstores. They're the only ones. I couldn't have written this had it not been for little books I found in like used bookstores around town because a lot of the good books disappear quickly (laughs) Mm -hmm. so support your local bookstore or and if you can't do that go to the library the libraries have it 
So, yeah. but it's also on Kindle. It's also on audio. <laughs> there is an audio audible. Do you version. read it in the audio book version? <laughs> I do not. But I did want a woman just because. Yeah, I. Yeah. And I wanted to originally, and then they said it's going to be like five hundred hours of recording, and then I'm like, oh my god, I don't have that uh, much time. Yeah. <laughs> It's like I work full time. I mean, that's yeah. that's the thing. It's like I did all this working full time. That's why I'm single. I have no life. No, not exercising enough. There's <laughs> oh, there's there's like ninety percent of our listeners are like, yeah, I know, yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, good company then. Well, Lisa, it so has been much. a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you all. So we are absolutely including a link to the book mm-hmm. in the show notes. You should check it out. Like we said in the show, um, it is really exceptionally researched. And I think that uh, the evidence is pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa was, I think, telling us, I believe this is when we were not recording. She's like, she, I get, she told me she gets frustrated or she told us she gets frustrated doing radio interviews sometimes because it sounds so fantastic mm, that like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. she's just like, it's like a coast to coast guest or something. But let me tell you, a lot of footnotes in this motherfucker. Yeah, totally. No, I can imagine that would be frustrating because it's, you know, there's so much you want to cover in order to impress on the audience how, you know, impressive the amount of evidence for your case is. But also that means that you can't be as meticulous in Mm -hmm. the amount of detail that you can get into. So for that reason and for so many more, we highly, highly recommend True and On Seal of Approval. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a fun little sound that... You just made one just with your. I heard you did. You do. did a good pop. You went. No, can no, you do no, that, that again. Was no, do that. Tiny. Please do that again. Please no, no. Let's again. get a. Let, we'll get a big fun. Something uh, cool. No, no. Don't. Yeah, sound to me. No, this is just fellas talk here. Liz, don't listen. Uh, just turn up on when she does the. I thought that was. I thought that was nice. It was. Um. Uh. It was funny sounding. No, we also, okay. uh, we do, by the way, if you are a book writer, we do charge authors only $5,000 book writer, <laughs> like an author of a book. Uh, and you want whatever the book is about, whatever the subject, whatever the length, whatever you want to say, uh, I will blurb it, uh, for 5,000. Liz does it for 6,000 and young Chomsky does it for a really long hug. Yeah. Can't uh, be self-published we, though. No, can't. Well, yes, it cannot be self-published. You have to publish through Amazon. Um, because we also get most of the share from your book, profit wise. All right. All Anyways, right, right, let's right, wrap right. this. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> I, my name. Whenever we have like a really sweet guest, I feel like I can't really go. Brace, crazy. what drink are you drinking? I'm not saying that. I, I, first of all, I'm drinking two drinks. Uh, I well, actually, this one is it's just called balls. Know. He's drinking a drink called balls. I was at the damn store. They sell. They sell it's at this. Balls. It's called, you don't know uh, that this is, drink has been around for a long time. And when I saw it at the store, it also kind of, I'll, I'll be real. Lisa, if you're still listening, don't listen to this part. It looks like a condom because it's like studded. What? It, yeah. It doesn't just look or like a weird, like a French tickler or something. I don't like, really like, know It what looks look like an like, esoteric condom you'd purchase for a quarter in a bathroom. Uh, and, uh, but it is it is a drink that's been around for a long time. It was an energy drink. I remember, you know, people used to drink it. You're drinking it. That's an energy drink? I think it is. It's a guarana. Oh, I guess it's a soda. 
Oh, it's well, a soda it's, called it's Balls. Guarana. Wait, you're it. drinking an energy drink called Balls. It's not an energy drink. It's a soda. It says soda on it. Asshole. No, uh, something with that in it is a, an energy drink. And wait, it says manufactured for balls, <laughs> Twinsburg, Ohio, 44087. Yeah, uh, this was around when I was very young, and then I was in the freaking store earlier, and I saw it on uh, for sale, and I was like, I'll grab me a balls. I'm Liz. My name is Brace, and I'm sorry for anybody who was offended by what Liz said earlier, because I thought that was really rude of her. Uh, we're joined by producer Young Chomsky, who's uh, thankfully a cruel comments to me you couldn't hear, but I know he was thinking of them. He's producing this, but I wish he could produce maybe a nicer personality for the two people that are mean to me. The podcast is called True and On. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>